Welcome back. You're watching Stock Watch with me, Bright Kumalo. Tackling your stock-related questions this evening are Jimmy Moyaha from Independent Analyst and Alex Days from Umtombo Wealth. And don't forget to send those questions via SMS to 41. 392 email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag uh, stockwatch. Uh, Alex, I'll start with you there. Can you give us um, a local market wrap? I mean, uh, the JSC seems to be, you know, doing much better than, uh, you know, its offshore counterparts. How did we close today? Good evening. Yeah, so we saw a bit of a rally in the market today. I mean, normally the resource industrials uh, did quite well. I think of some of the big movements that happened today, likes of Renet up over 4%, Sabanya up over 4%. So that gives you a sense of industrials and in the, in the, as well as in the resources. And the downside, of course, Capitec was down over 9%, and Harmony also down quite big as well as Anglo Platt. So a bit of a mixed bag. But overall, I think a decent day uh, in our market. Yeah, so decent day in local markets indeed. I mean, there's no rug pulling happening on the local front. But if we move, uh, so to you know, um, you know our offshore markets. It's been two days now where you know the U.S. market. Uh, you, you're seeing the futures during our market when our market is, is open. The you know the futures there are doing exceptionally well, and then you know when it's time to open, they open in the red. But at least we had uh, one big green day yesterday. But today that seemed to have reversed. Um, Alex. I mean, look, at the moment, sentiment is, is very, very fragile. So based on any sort of economic news, good or bad, you'll see big movements in, in the market. So was the big news today is in the ECB, and they raised interest rates by 75 basis points. Uh, the Fed's most likely going to follow suit a bit later this month. And also the Reserve Bank also probably will do a 50 or 75 basis points. So it's all still about interest rates, yeah. uh, about inflation and economic activity. Now, we've seen a bit of a big mixed bag in, in the U.S. regarding economic activity. So jobless claims was, was quite good numbers there. But also, if you look at the housing, uh, was under pressure. Um, so you see you've got strong employment, but yet housing prices are under pressure. We know that lower consumers are under pressure. And the U.S., of course, is a technical recession as well. There's all of these factors are having impact on the market. So you, market's like a yo-yo at the moment. We'd have a couple of days going up and then it will simply reverse again. Bit directionless in the moment, but certainly I think there's more risk to the downside at the moment, considering economic situation and evaluation specifically in the US. Um, but yeah, things can change quickly. We simply do not know what's going to happen in you know in the next six or twelve months. But you know, it's very select. It's very important to be selective on the counters you like. Yeah, yeah. Having quality companies will eventually get through the cycle and give returns. But there are a lot of businesses out there that's got questionable business models very high valuations and you could be in for a world of pain if you hold those companies. Yeah, yeah. You've made a, a you know, a, a good point which we've repeatedly made on the show, uh, you know, to, so to say that it's going to be a stock picker's market during all of this turmoil and uh, a lot of volatility. I mean, it always sounds like we're speaking our own game, but I mean, if you're just buying the whole market as a whole, you're definitely, you know, down a lot and um, you're not quite happy. But obviously, depending on which counters you've chosen as well, uh, on the individual side, it's it's it, it you know it hasn't been easier either to say the least. Hence, why maybe you just take your money and give it to you know experts. I don't know. <laughs> uh, the first question here, Jimmy, um, is from the SMS line, which says, "Is coronation a good option in these markets?" Thanks. This is from Barry. Well, 
So, I mean, coronation, um, much like the asset managers, is uh, speaking to the point that you've just made around um, potentially just leaving your money with the experts uh, and that sort of thing. I think if you look at coronation um, as a stock individually and uh, the performance that they've been able to deliver, um, you, you can see that they have been able to uh, achieve um, quite decent returns at this uh, stage, I guess, for someone with uh, a lower risk appetite or uh, a risk appetite that isn't uh, going to be as volatile as what you might find in um, a gold stock, for example, at this stage, um, or an oil stock at this stage, you probably are um, better off uh, looking at something like a coronation, uh, like you said, with, with the um, the experts that they have behind there. I think if you're going to look at something along the lines of coronation, you might want to look at an alternative uh, insignia as well. Uh, they've been doing quite well uh, in recent times. Uh, they've also got a couple of things in the pipeline there as well. So if you are in that space and you're looking along those lines, um, personally, I might be a bit more uh, impartial towards Signia. Yeah, interesting. So you like Signia more, uh, which is, you know, sort of a, a low-cost entrance in the market or player. Um, this one is from Sudhir, who says, would you sell uh, this share? If so, um, what would you buy with the cash? So the share is referring to here. Well, it's a lot of shares, but we'll talk about the first one, which is uh, Breit. Uh, we have not got a question about Breit in a very long time here, Alex. So I'm keen to hear um, your thoughts on Breit. Sure. Um, obviously, yeah, I mean, Breit has experienced a lot of changes, let's call it over the last five to ten years. Um, so Bright, obviously, you know, if you look at the, the portfolio of the of, of they've got the I mean, Premier Foods is still being, I guess, we ready for, for being a listing. Yes, they've got, of course, the stake in a, in a private equity uh, business uh, ethos. So that business, um, they also got, of course, investments in the likes of Virgin Active and so forth. So the problem with Bright is they've got been lots of operational issues in the line business as well as debt in online companies, as well as debt in the centers. There's a triple leverage type of operational leverage combined to different leverages. And that's really caused this business to really spiral out of control. I mean, this business used to be, up until 2015, I think it was the darling of the market. I think right at one stage at 160, somewhere there. So Yeah, you say um, darling of the market. I remember one, um, you know, market rockstar once said, once got asked the question, well, what type of investor would go out there and buy a company like Breit at 150 bucks and says, well, the type of investor wants to make money? Well, I guess that was the top. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps to answer the, the, the viewer's question, I used to be quite bullish on Breit. I think it was about 2010 or so when it yep. changed the structure until about 2014 or so. I was really bullish on the counter. Ever since then, I've never considered buying it back again. And even at these levels, I still don't think it's worthwhile to look into it. Yes, it's cheap, but it's cheap for a reason. It's got a lot of operational issues there, a lot of debt-related issues. I'm not convinced what's of the assets in the Air Force and so forth. But, you know, um, for me, uh, it just doesn't like me. So I don't sell it. Well, I won't buy it. So, yes, I would imagine, yeah. But so there have been opportunities globally as well as locally in Brayden market. Yeah, and then he says, what would you do then with the cash? Because he's definitely in the green on this because he bought it at 2 Rand 90. Well, let's look at it differently. So think of locally. I mean, SA Inc. is quite cheap at the moment. Yeah. 
Um, if you look at the SA market in general, there's lots of opportunities. Most topic later, I'll, I'll highlight one of those. But yeah. if you think of the banks, for example, they are, you know, they are very attractive from a relation perspective. There are a bunch of other industrial companies are looking quite cheap. Um, obviously, globally, we've seen a, quite a bit of sell-off in the markets. If you're willing to look through the noise, I'd imagine you know buying a UK or European ETFs not, not a bad option if you don't want to buy specific stocks. Perhaps the US is a little bit still an expensive side of things, but certainly there are a lot better opportunities, I think, globally and globally. You know, if you're medium over longer term, then trying to make some sort of return holding uh, Bright. Okay, I like that. I think that was a thorough answer to Bright and you know the options uh, that come you know with selling and then obviously having the cash. Um, Jimmy, do you have anything to add, or maybe what would you buy, you know, with the proceeds? I, th I think I 100% I agree with Alex in that I would not be putting my money with Freight at this stage, nor would I be selling it, um, given that the, I mean, you're essentially relying on the fact that this, the stock would go back below the three rand uh, level. I mean, if he's, if he's in at 295, um, he's, he's up about a rand on that. Um, I'd probably put the money towards uh, something else. Um, if I had the cash, it'd probably sit uh, somewhere where I've had a long favorite for, for a while um, in terms of some of the stocks that we've given out in the past. Um, but also an ETF. Surprisingly enough, you, you're, we're struggling for value in terms of certain stocks at this stage. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily because the stocks themselves are underperforming, but it's rather around the um, overall uh, sentiment around markets, around equity markets, and the performance that equity markets are, are, is, are going through at the moment. So um, possibly look at a high-yielding ETF, if not look at um, uh, a longer-term or a medium-term dated uh, treasury bond. Um, something unconventional for, for starters. I mean, I guess uh, it is more to do with the um, individual's timeline or time horizon in terms of when they're looking to achieve that return. Um, that will determine sort of what asset class to best invest it in uh, alongside, of course, their, their risk appetite. But I, I definitely agree with uh, Alex in that. Uh, at the moment, Brait is not something I would go uh, very close towards. Um, and there's a couple, there's a, a significant number of better alternatives at this stage. Okay, fantastic. On the SMS line again, uh, we have another question uh, from Joe, who says, "Your thoughts on Aspen, please? Is it a hold or a sell here, um, Alex?" Sure. Um, my colleagues on that, I've never been a fan of Aspen uh, before, so. Man, Alex, you're a rock star. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us had to learn the hard way. <laughs> so, I mean, Aspen for me has been too acquisitive over the years. And as a result, they came into trouble. That's why they had to sell a lot of bunch of assets yeah. and, and so forth. But the fact of the matter is there's very limited organic growth potential in the portfolio. Um, even the latest results, we saw very limited organic growth uh, yeah. in the business. Um, however, to give them some credit, they have fixed the balance sheet quite a lot. And they're probably in a position now to do some deals again. But once again, it brings in the risk that they had in the past. My big issue with, with Aspen is the way they, they value the intangibles on the balance sheet. They, every single year over the last five years, they've changed the assumptions, making it more aggressive to keep the valuations high. 
instead of amortizing those intangibles, they, they have an indefinite life on these things. That's quite an unusual type of accounting. In my opinion, that in my view, that overstates the, the earnings of the business. So that PE, it might look attractive, but I think it's not a true reflection of economic reality. And for us, uh, in the course of that, you know, I just got question marks about the business. Also, the way they've used to account for some of the acquisitions they've done in the past and so forth. Um, you know, it just doesn't excite me. There's no growth, questionable, some of the accounting. Yeah, uh, and they've got acquisition risk. And they look at the share price performance over the last five years. It reflects that. It's been a dismal performer. But saying yeah. that at current levels, it's probably fair value, I think, Aspen. Um, you can probably do worse than buying Aspen at these levels. But I can't see Aspen being a massive value creator, in my view, over the medium to long term from these levels. So you don't see a catalyst. Uh, interesting there. Uh, what did you make of today's uh, interest rate hike, um, you know, in the UK? And obviously, uh, people are saying that, you know, um, with the recent narrative uh, from the Fed, we should see ourselves, you know, uh, you know, towards the 3.5 to 3.75% you know, or 3.8% mark towards December, meaning they're going to be hiking interest rates every month for the remaining uh, months, which you know there is, is no cause for celebration. Um, any any thoughts on on the two matters, and what it means for well, markets I mean and my portfolio and your portfolio? Well, I mean, from from a UK perspective and um, certainly from a US perspective, um, the UK at the moment is experiencing their highest levels of inflation um, in in history, um, as far as I can tell. Um, and the, the concern around that, of course, is the, the fact that um, much like the U.S. and much like other markets is if something isn't done towards curbing that, um, it, the longer that they take to deal with that, the longer it's going to take for them to then um, reverse the effects of inflation and then get inflation back under a controlled and manageable level. I mean, if you think of these sorts of um, the countries, the U.K. and um, the U.S., for the longest time, um, they've considered sort of uh, one and a half to two and a half percent inflation being considerably steep. Um, and for them to suddenly be at eight, nine, some even 10 percent inflation um, in some uh, figures, it, it's a significant difference and it's a significant challenge for them. Couple that with um, for the UK, what's happening with the energy crisis, uh, what's happening with um, the Russia uh, gas pipeline uh, being turned off indefinitely that we spoke about. Um, so I think for, from an inflationary standpoint, there's very little that central banks are able to do in terms of addressing that from their mandate. Their mandate, um, where it relates to being able to manage inflation and being able to um, use tools to get inflation under control, is limited towards things like interest rate hikes. Um, the U.S. has already said that regardless of how stable um, they start to see things turn out from a job market perspective and that sort of thing, they are going to continue to hike rates um, and manage the inflationary conversation and inflationary situation. Now, what that means for you and I, if we're looking at our portfolios, is that um, we're going to continue to experience volatility in certain respects. The market can only price in um, a certain degree of that, and the market will price in as much of it as it can. Um, it might then start to phase it out over a certain period of time and that sort of thing. But as we've seen with economic data is that as certain sets of data start to come out, um, they become more and more important in terms of gu uh, guidance from uh, the Fed's perspective and from other central banks' perspective. And therefore, they create uh, those larger spikes in volatility um, and 
give us the uh, those sharper moves along um, our portfolios and that sort of thing. So I think at the moment, if you're looking at um, your 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 stock portfolios and that sort of thing, you want you want to be looking at uh, ensuring that there's as much balance as possible. Yeah. Um, yes, you could be seeking out returns in this time of increased volatility because um, with the, the, the movement in volatility, uh, it does present itself with great opportunity to achieve greater returns than normal, but it also does present the same uh, downside in terms of a risk-based thing. Oh, and if you're looking at your portfolio, you want to be managing your portfolio from um, a, a three to five year plan, some people even longer than that. Yeah. And you don't want to be looking at the noise that's going to come in the next 12 to 18 months from interest rates, decision making that has to happen because of where inflation yeah. levels are. So you you can leave a certain portion of your portfolio tied down towards um, chasing that level of attractive uh, return and that sort of thing. But don't don't restructure and um, reposition your entire portfolio based on that because this is going to be a temporary thing. There will come a point where um, interest rates are hiked to uh, what they consider a ceiling being central banks and then things will start to uh, reverse and slow down and those market cycles will follow uh, due course. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, you don't want to have to rebalance your portfolio again. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been told this story before that you can only control sort of financial services, uh, you know, demand uh, or supply when it comes to you know with interest rates, but you can you can't especially you can't control uh, inflation in sort of your uh, more staples and sort of needs hard goods that are out there. So we're learning that the hard way. I think someone told me they're much older than me, and I said, "Shut up, Boomer." But look, are we learning these <laughs> very hard. Anything to add there, um, um, Alex, before we move back to our stocks? Well, I mean, look, uh, I mean, my preference is for more bottom-up approach. Okay. I mean, so if you want to take a medium to long-term view, I prefer to buy quality companies that I want to hold for medium to long-term basis. Obviously, the top-down factors that Jimmy refers to has impact on valuation. So, so whenever a quality company that you already own then sells off, I simply top up that business, or perhaps opportunity to buy a business brings itself. For example, let's say you're not the owner of Microsoft and pulls down 20, 30 percent you're like, hmm, perhaps I'm going to pick up some Microsoft. Today. So okay. that's more my approach. Uh, buy companies you want to hold over in the long term and use this changes in the cycle as opportunities to top up or perhaps even sell some, take some profits when an opportunity presents itself. Okay, Jimmy, we, we promised to come back to Aspen. So your thoughts on Aspen? I think um, I'm not too excited by Aspen, if I'm very honest. Um, if, I, if I'm looking at a technical price chart of Aspen, uh, we've sort of come off of highs in, in, in what, 2018. Uh, we retested those highs around August of 2021, just below that 300 rand a share level. Uh, it sort of looks like, uh, almost looks like a double top uh, there. And we, we've really just been on a downward um, sort of trend, trend since then. Yeah. We've come back. Uh, to sit below 150 uh, rand a share, um, so I, I'm not seeing much excitement from Aspen. Um, Alex was very right; he hit the nail on the head when he mentioned that unless there's certain, or unless there's a, a significant level of innovation, whether it's in acquisitions, whether it's in R&D, whether it's in uh, what they do from a business perspective, I can't really see what's going to give rise to um, a significant move up in the share price. Um, and for me, the, as much as you want to have uh, sort of a stable stocks uh, in your portfolio, you also want the stocks that are stable to be performing uh, to a certain degree. So 
Personally, um, I'm not uh, very excited about Aspen at these levels. Uh, I'd want to see them do something um, that would warrant uh, an investment case or make an investment case on their behalf at this stage. Um, but those that are holding the stock, uh, I also don't see further uh, significant downside. It's bounced off of key support levels uh, there, but I think we might just see a bit of consolidation from Aspen at this stage okay. um, while they, they announce their next move to us. So you, you're also not that bullish on Aspen, uh, and probably rightfully so. Um, we've got a question here from Koketso who says, uh, which retailer would you buy between Pick and Pay and Pepco at these levels for the long term? So I guess it's, it's a very interesting question here, Alex, we have. We've never gotten something of this nature. I mean, it's the one is a food retailer, the other one is a diversified retailer. So, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question. So I think... Let's start off PayPal first. I mean, it's a type of company I sometimes wish I can be the CEO, just so I can actually make the changes that's necessary in business. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's lots of, I mean, you can just get rid of some of the bad businesses in the business, you know, you know sell it or unbundle it and focus on the core business, which is PEP, PEP itself as well as Ackermann's. I think they've got, those are very strong brands with very strong operational prospects over the long term. These other assets, like, for example, Grable Connection, Hi-Fi Pulp, you know, the building materials business, JD Group, those are all very subpar-based assets, and I want them to get rid of those, and I think it will create a lot of value. So Pepco, you can buy it, and we hope that's going to happen, but unlikely. Uh, however, they have recently breached, uh, not breached, but moved into the Brazilian market. It remains to be seen what they're going to do there. But Pepco, I like the core part of the business, I don't like the rest. Pick and Pay is an interesting one. I think um, they have done lots of groundwork over the last year to get a business position where it is today. Yeah. Obviously, within the year, they've changed, you know, this focus now more on the lower LSM. So you're going to see the likes of a boxer being rolled out very, very aggressively. If you look at the margin, the business is very, very low compared to something like a, a ShopRite. And if they can gain market share and get the warehousing right and logistics and so forth, it's very likely they can actually increase that EBIT margins up higher. And that would mean very strong earnings growth um, over the medium term. Um, so I think there is some optionality in pick and pay, and I think it could be an interesting investment case. If it takes on like a shop right, which is a high-quality business, they're probably already at peak margins and most likely going to lose market share from these levels. Um, so as a result, pick and pay is probably the opposite of that, most likely in a gain market share and gain margins. And as a result, makes it quite a compelling investment case in my view. Yeah, and uh, Jimmy, we've got about a minute here to talk about these stocks. Uh, which one would you go for between the two? Pepco. Oh, why? <laughs> um, Pepco's, Pepco's um, I, I hear Alex's point around um, certain non-performing assets um, being or the need to have them sort of removed from the portfolio. But if you look at Pepco's performing assets, you look at Pep, you look at Ackermans, you look at the LSM groups that those two uh, target, you look at the revamp that Pep has gone through yeah. in terms of uh, rolling out the, the different divisions being your, your traditional Peps now with uh, Pep Home coming into the fold and that sort of thing. That's changing um, the game big time. It's, it's de and they're targeting the South African uh, population where the South African population can afford it. They're not price the, the price point on product um, and the price point that they are reaching um, in terms of the market that they're reaching is spot on. Um, they're not uh, overpricing their products. They're not undervaluing themselves. It's it's the ability to continuously open new stores every year, continuously achieve a profit from your core businesses. I'm liking Pepco so much more. 
Yeah, okay, okay. We, we, we'll jump into our stock picks there. We've got about two minutes. Uh, Jimmy, your stock pick? I've given it out before. I'll give it out again. CrowdStrike. Um, main reason for this is we've got a lot of uh, concerns around uh, returns and the, the, the market conditions and what we're sitting with around uh, the world, not just in South Africa. And if you're looking at uh, certain spaces, I mean, if you take the semiconductor space, for example, um, they're going to be impacted by supply chain constraints. You look at all other companies that have reported in recent times, uh, whether it's quarterly reports, uh, quarterly earnings numbers or half-year earnings numbers, their concerns are around supply chains in terms of delivering things. With a company like CrowdStrike, you have none of those concerns. Um, you're dealing with a business where the, the more we have information out in the open and out in terms of um, the online space and the internet space, um, things like remote working, um, logging in from Wi-Fi, things that are not office-based and all of that, the need for, the greater the need for security and internet security and information security, CrowdStrike's been at the forefront of that for the longest time and they hold a lot of large clients. So your clients them, that, that are um, sitting with CrowdStrike technology and CrowdStrike infrastructure are not necessarily going to okay, touch I'm, back I'm, on security at that stage i'm sold on, on, on crowdstrike and i like the annuity model which you know makes sense definitely bullish there um alex your pick for the evening yeah so i alluded earlier that i think isa inc is quite attractive and one of those that i think are very cheap is uh, truitt okay right so, i mean i think truitt's visible valuation perspective right so it's currently the dividend yield of about high sevens now before COVID, was trading in between five and five and a half Right, so I think that just gives you a sense of the upside potential of the stock can re-rate. Yes, earnings growth on this base is probably going to be muted if you take a medium-term view, but they generate so much cash that they can pay very high dividends, do share buybacks, and if needed, do the op op optional uh, acquisition. And at the same time, it's a business that produces very high ROEs, about 40%. So this is a, a high-quality business, uh, in my view, that doesn't get the love in the market because it's not the so-called sexy stock, so-called growth and so forth. But that's exactly the type of stock you want in an environment when things are tough because they know how to push their, their business model to the max. And I, can, I think you're going to get very good total yeah. returns from Truett's levels. Remember, okay. uh, dividends is a very big, big component of the returns. So if you buy Truett, most likely half of your returns are going to come from dividends. Okay. You're going to be well in excess of inflation and do very, very well. Okay, fantastic. So you bullish on, on Truett. So we're going with Truett's and CrowdStrikes. Uh, for tonight. Thank you very much, gents. Uh, thanks to my guests, uh, Jimmy Moyaha, who's an independent analyst, and Alex Days from Umtombo Wealth. Do join Zinati for the Friday edition of Stockwatch tomorrow. Send those questions uh, during the day via SMS to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za, or tweet us at Business Day TV using the hashtag Stockwatch. The show is live at 19.30. Have a good evening and have a good weekend. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.